0: We haven't uh, played this song for a long time, so as people come in and uh, we get settled down, we just, uh, let's just, just sing this one song together. There's a fountain. It's just a great song to remind us of what Christ has done for us in his blood.
1: all their guilty stains, the dying thief rejoiced to see the fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away.
0: To our first Good Friday service. First ever? First ever. First ever? Not ever. Not ever? ever. Okay, first in a long time. Good Friday service. Oh. In a long, long time. Uh, maybe the 30 years that the pastor has been here. <laughs> um, but we thought we would do this because um, we're going to be here anyways, and um, it's a good, great time to remember. What Christ has done for us to just have this special time to sing some songs and hear from the Word of God as a family. And uh, let's stand and we sing this one last uh, one song before we get started. And I guess the pastor will come and explain what's going to happen tonight. Let's sing, Lamb of God.
2: participate in a service that could have never happened unless Christ finished his work on the cross. And as we think of tonight, so many years ago, that the Lord finished his work, but before he finished it, he was scourged and beaten and mocked and ridiculed to the extent that no man has ever been. And so, Lord, I pray tonight as we consider these things and ponder these things that we would consider tonight after we are done with our service how precious it is to be a Christian and to know it and to know we have a hope and a future because of what Christ accomplished. And so, Lord, I I pray you bless our time as we sing, as we read scripture, as we make uh, observations about the text, and I pray that you would just enrich our souls and encourage us to continue on, to press on in the faith, no matter how hard, how long, because, Lord, it's worth it, because nothing is in vain because we're believers and because you rose from the grave. And I just thank you again tonight in Christ's name, amen. Okay, let me just let you know what we're going to do tonight. Um, we're going to um, actually sing some praise songs. We're going to sing some uh, hymns. And then after we sing, is going to read a passage of scripture. And then I'm going to make some comments on that section of scripture. And, uh, and then we're going to do the same thing three times. So uh, we're going to sing. Uh, he's going to read. I'm going to uh, make some observations about the text. And then he, we're going to do same thing, sing, read, observations about the text, sing, read, observation of, about the text. And then we'll conclude in some more singing and end it. All right? So I'm glad you came tonight. Uh, we really haven't had a, a Friday night, good night, I mean, a good Friday service in, in a long, long time. And so, but uh, but I'm glad we're here tonight. And I'm glad you're able to break away. I know that was kind of short notice, the announcement, but you're here, and uh, so I I thank the Lord for that. So we're going to sing first, right? That was the singing. Oh, that was the singing. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay. All right, Khalif.
3: So I'm going to be reading from uh, Mark chapter 15. So Mark chapter 15, starting at verse 16. All of the readings tonight will be in Mark 15, so you might as well just leave it open there. Alright, So Mark 15, starting at verse 16. The soldiers took him away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. Verse 18, and they began to acclaim him, "Hail, king of the Jews. They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off of him and put his own garments on him. We'll stop there.
2: When we look at the Gospel of Mark, one of the major themes in the Gospel of Mark was, "Who is Christ? Who is He?" And so, when you get to really this place in Scripture, where which really is the third stage of, uh, the Gospel of Mark, and it's a large section of the Gospel of Mark, uh, Mark that uh, just shows us what, where it all led to, and. Um, What's going on? So in this third stage, it's Friday morning, possibly, of of course, before this, about five to six a.m. in the morning. The Sanhedrin all night have been trying Jesus, and um, they convened and 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 officially endorsed the decision to condemn Jesus to death. The members of the Sanhedrin, that's the seventy, mocked him, beat him, and abused him. And so, this third stage is Friday morning, shortly after dawn. Jesus is formally condemned by the Sanhedrin, and Jesus is tried by a Roman court and found not guilty. Jesus is not condemned by the Roman court, he is found actually innocent. Instead, he is offered up by some festival custom, and a crowd persuaded by jealousy, Uh, and of course the religious body was very jealous of Jesus, and they wanted him dead at all costs. So Pilate, the politician, cowers in caves. Barabbas, the criminal, is released according to what the crowd wanted. Jesus, the innocent, is scourged fulfilling prophecy, and then of course all levels of people, spiritual blindness, madness and folly prevailed all that day when the soul is dead and the heart is numb, people are capable of committing even the worst of brutal acts, and that is what we see here in this section of scripture, the sinful mind without divine illumination concludes incorrectly concerning Jesus' suffering and death. So that's really just pondering tonight Christ's suffering and death, which really brings us to three things to ponder uh, this evening. The first one is found in the passage that Khalif just read, and that, that Jesus was mocked and smitten as a would be king even though he was a great king so you see that the mockers are actually saying exactly what Jesus is opposite and so it's a kind of ironic when you're reading scripture and it goes it's like that throughout all the last part of the gospel of mark so remember it is friday it's around 6 a.m. Jesus is now handed over to the Roman soldiers to prepare Jesus for crucifixions. That was their job. So Jesus is already beaten very badly. Uh, the soldiers, it says in verse 16, took him away into the palace, that is the Praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cor- cohort. Now a Roman co- co- cohort was around 200 soldiers, so that's a lot of soldiers to take care of one person. And yet, the government thought he was such a threat that they gave this whole section of soldiers. And now these soldiers had authority over the prisoner and took liberty to mock and smite Jesus as a would-be king. So in other words, the the soldiers were saying, let's have a little fun, right? This is going to be a tough day. Let's have a little fun. So what they did is they actually, the soldiers uh, say six things to ridicule Jesus Christ to be a king. And so Mark gives a vivid, really, description of this horrific event. And so what happens in Scripture is that these six things are actually true of Jesus, even though they are mocking him. And what are they? Well, I'll let you see from the text. The first one is that if he is a king... Then they mock him with a purple robe, right? That's what they did. And then, of course, a king also needs a crown. So they twist a a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and so they mock him with a crown. They also, a king also needs adoration, so they acclaim him and hail him king of the Jews, and they offer up sarcastic acknowledgments of his royal deity. A king also needs a staff. And, of course, here it says he kept, they kept beating him in the head with a reed. A reed is like a staff. And so they addressed as king uh, Jesus as a king who they looked at as powerless and unable to use his scepter, his rod, to rule. And so they beat him with it. They beat him in the head with it. And, of course, a king also needs respect. So they give him mock respect, and they they disrespect him by hurling upon him the grossest kind of insults, the insult that anyone possibly can have, and that's spitting at him. They spit at him, and then, of course, a king needs worship, so they give him mock worship by bowing before him, and they give him mock homage. And so we see that actually the verb used in the text means that the, the soldiers' actions were repeated. They kept doing this over and over and over again. So Pilate let this uh, barbaric type of situation go on almost for three hours, from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. And remember what the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter, He says, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. So what happens at a particular point is that he's brought before Pilate, and Pilate has a conversation with Jesus. And how did that conversation go? Well, if you notice in this text here, it says there that Pilate entered again into the Praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, listen, and this is what Pilate wanted to know, because if Jesus was claiming to be a king to take over the Roman government, they wanted to know what kind of king he was and what kind of authority he had, right? So what does Pilate ask him? Are you the king of the Jews, right? Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Verse 37, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, so you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth, everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. So at that point, uh, this shameful, demeaning activity that was taking place by the guards ended, and they took off Jesus' purple robe that they gave him, and they gave him back his old garments, making him now ready to be crucified. So at that point, we can come to the next section.
0: Listening to that, I remember that, that Jesus was, um, was suffering um, as an innocent man, and how angry are you when you see an innocent man suffer? But if you were there that day, and you were watching this happen, and you were seeing this innocent man suffer, your anger would be mixed with a great sadness. As well as a great joy because he's suffering and he's enduring this for you. He's only enduring this for you. Let's sing these hymns. Oh, sacred head now wounded. as we sing the old rugged cross.
3: Continuing our reading in Mark 15, starting at verse 20, the, the second portion. And they led him out to crucify him. They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Then they brought him to the place Golgotha which is translated place of a skull. Verse 23, they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews.
2: This brings us to our second movement in our passage. And, of course, it is that Jesus was led to the slaughter as a defenseless and a helpless lamb, even though he was the great lamb of God. So the procession of, it says, and they led him out and crucified him. The procession for Criminals to be crucified was the, a, a very public thing for the Romans. Matter of fact, it was to be as public as possible because these people are, are used as an example. Don't do this stuff, all right? So what they would do is that they would run the procession through the most populated streets, and then also the actual crucifixion was placed on a major highway where everybody who passed by could see what was going on. So when we come to this text, we see that there are several things uh, that are mentioned in the passage about how how Jesus is viewed in this part uh, portion of Scripture. And of course, we, we, again, we see how people are looking at Jesus in the wrong way and in, in the opposite of who he really is. And so we come and we see that there are actually this is how they view him. First, they view him as a man who needed help. We see that the Bible tells us that the Roman soldiers, uh, these mean-spirited Roman soldiers, saw that, that Jesus seemed to be frail at that point, and so they pressed. It says into service a bypasser by coming, uh, coming from the country, uh, the country Simon of Cyrene, and so Cyrene is actually is equal to that of the area of Africa. And so his father Ale- Alexander and Ruf- Rufus are mentioned also, and he's the one who bears Jesus' cross, the cross beam of the cross that he bears, not the whole thing. The the way we, we see a cross today is not the way uh, crucifixion was done. It, it, it had a cross. It was like a T. It didn't have any uh, head part of it. Uh, so in this case... They picked this man out, but what is the high probability of something happening to Simon uh, of Cyrene on Golgotha that day could have changed his life dr- dramatically? And some believe that he, it was because his, uh, he was actually, his son Rufus could be the God-fearing man mentioned in the Epistle of Romans, where it says, Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. And Simon could be the man mentioned in the book of Acts when, uh, who sent Paul and Barnabas on their first mission to the Gentiles. So again, uh, it says in, in, in Acts, it says, And there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teacher Barnabas and Simeon, which is another form of the name Simon, all Right. Which, who is called Niger, again, a regular name for a man of swathy skin uh, who came from Africa. So the possibility that that man carrying Jesus' crossbeam that day believed in Jesus, the probability from getting the evidence from Scripture is very high. All right. So he was a man that looked like he needed help, but I think Simon is the one who needed the help. And he got it, and he got it that day. A second thing it says in the text is that Jesus was viewed as an unclean man, right? For it says, and they brought him to the place Galgotha, which is translated place of, of a skull. And the reason why he's viewed as an unclean man, because Galgotha was outside the city limits of Jerusalem. And, out, and they took everything that was unclean outside the city. In fact, it says in the book of Hebrews, therefore Jesus also, uh, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. All right. So in other words, anything that was taken outside the gate was considered unclean. So Jesus was considered that day as taken to the place of the skull, and of course that really was a, a, a place that referred to the shape of a skull, uh, a round-topped hill, referring to a skull-like hill outside the walls of Jerusalem. Now it's a Mohammedan cemetery, uh, a hill that rises right above the garden tomb in, in that portion of Israel. And then the next thing it was, he, he was viewed as a man who needed drugs. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, uh, but he did not take it. Now Golgotha, of course, on Golgotha, Jesus was offered a narcotic. Uh, actually, it was a drug. Myrrh was added with wine to give a stupefying effect. The soldiers usually recommended it because drugged wine given to someone who was either, in, uh, or of course, in terrible suffering, but for them it would subdue the criminal. Uh, so they can, it would be easier for the soldiers to uh, put nails through their hands and their feet. However, Jesus refused. He did not take it because he wanted to remain perfectly clear-headed and sober in order to take the full brunt of the suffering that none of his senses would be dulled as he took the load of sin upon him. And then Jesus was viewed as, a, as hopelessly condemned. That's shown in what the soldiers did. They divided his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. Now, the reason why they did that is because when they started casting lots for his clothes is that they realized this person doesn't need their clothes anymore. They're dying, right? So what they do, do, what they did was they would cast lots. Now, usually there was four lots, all right? Three were blank. One was marked. And of course, they would put it in probably a Roman helmet and mix it around. And whoever picked it out would get what they were kind of like gambling on. And so, of course, this was also prophetic in Psalm 22. It says, uh, verse 18, they divided my garments among them for my clothing they cast lots. So Jesus is, again, fulfilling prophecy. And, of course, they went and crucified him. And uh, remember, on a T-shaped, church history bears the record that the cross was T-shaped, had no top piece, Uh, like our present crosses have. Jesus was lifted up about 36 inches from the ground. The great nails were driven through his hands and his feet. And, of course, Luke records this, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me, see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And, of course, Psalm 22, 16, They pierced my hands my feet. So again, crucifixion is a very horrible way to die. It was an agonizing, humiliating, exhausting death. It was meant to be slow and painful and many people who were crucified spent four days on the cross before they died. Four days before they succumbed to death. Yet we come to see that Jesus' greatest agony was not physical. His greatest agony, rather, was the agony of soul as he bore the guilt of the world's sin. And that leads to that last one, that is that Jesus is viewed as a guilty man, where it says it was the third hour when they crucified him. That's 9 o'clock. The third hour is at 9 o'clock in the morning that Jesus is hanging on the cross Uh, And, of course, John tells us now it was the day of preparation for Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and, of course, that was later. And um, he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So the superscription publicly displayed the charge for which the person was guilty. And in this case, it says the inscription of the charge against him was the king of the Jews. So as Jesus was raised on the cross, the Jews noticed that superscription, which Pilate had caused to be placed above him, and insisted he modify it, but he refused. And it's recorded this way in John. It said that, so the chief priest and the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but he says, they said, Right, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. So even though the superscription was used in a mocking way, it was Pilate's way of revenge on the Jews. If you want Jesus, you will have to have him as your king. And that's exactly what he was. See, that's the ironic thing. Jesus is the great king. Amen. Let's sing some more songs.
0: As we sing these songs, you can just uh, be in your seats and um, think about the words what we're going to sing. I think throughout history, um, Jesus has always been misunderstood by people, right? Um, the soldiers didn't understand that who they were crucifying was really the Lord of the universe. And um, it's no different today. People have all sorts of crazy ideas about who Jesus was, who Jesus is. Um, Some people think he's a great man, but just a man. Some people think he was a a liar, um, a, a cult leader. Some people think he wasn't real at all. But we know better, don't we? To us, he's our... Lord and our Savior, but not only that, he's our brother and our friend, and um, that's who he is to us. Let's sing this song.
3: Continuing verse 27, they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, also, along with the scribes, were mocking him, saying, mocking him among themselves and saying, "He saved others, He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe those who were crucified with him were also insulting him.
2: Amen. In this last part, this last section of scripture tonight, we come to a third movement in the passage, and it's that of Jesus was crucified to save others, not himself, even though he was the son of God and a great king. The great king was crucified. There's two things that are important in this; these few verses, 27 and 28 is that Jesus is crucified with sinners. Crucified, they crucified two robbers with him, it says, on his right and on his left. So these convicted robbers were directly connected to Jesus because they were sinners. They were not petty thieves. They were considered highwaymen. Those who robbed innocent victims while they were traveling from place to place. Back then, they didn't have, you know, police cruising the the roads. Back then, if you're caught out in the middle and there's thieves there, you, you usually had no way to protect yourself. And so they knew that, and they would rob people, and they were found guilty. Uh, they were, they were caught, found guilty, and of course tried by the Roman government, because believe, believe me, if they're hanging on the cross, that is about the worst penalty you can get uh, by the Roman government, the crucifixion. So these guys were, n- were not just petty thieves. They were wicked, evil uh, men who probably robbed many people and probably didn't much more than that than rob them. So Jesus' is placed smack right in the middle of these two criminals. Jesus was the most important person, held at center place between two sinners who were dying justly for their crimes, and Jesus was the opposite of that. Our text is clear that Jesus was fulfilling prophecy, for it says in verse 28, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors and of course that's what it says in Isaiah therefore I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors so Jesus the great king is crucified with sinners But he is also crucified for sinners. For already in our text, it lets us know that, uh, and that of course, that is the great doctrine of substitution. And that is where you and I should have been dying on the cross for our sins and our iniquities. And now we have a substitute lamb that dies in our place, takes the full wrath of God for us, pays for every sin that his sheep would commit, and he now dies to the point where he gives himself wholly to that sacrifice, fulfills everything in the Old Testament that pointed to that sacrifice, and he dies for sinners. So Jesus was fulfilling his mission that he was not dying for the righteous for there are none but he was a substitute sacrifice for all kinds of sinners as second corinthians informs us a very pointed passage of scripture where it says he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf the righteous King Jesus Christ is being sin, being made sin on our behalf, not his own sin, our sin. For what reason? That we may become the righteousness of God in him. So when we get saved, when you and I come to Christ, we repent of our sins, we ask him to save us, forgive us, we have nothing to offer Christ at that point. We have no righteousness. We have no good deeds. We have nothing to offer him. All we have to offer him is a bundle of sin, even sins that we forgot we did. Jesus died for those too, right? And then, so we have to be saved with an alien righteousness, as Luther said, a righteousness not of our own. We could never have supplied it. Who supplies our righteousness? Jesus Christ. So he takes our sin, he nails it to the cross, and he takes his righteousness and he puts it over our account. So when God the Father sees our account, he no longer sees our sin, but he sees the righteousness of his Son, Jesus Christ, and the shed blood that washes that sin away, never again to come up against us to condemn us. And so that becomes the great truth of Scripture. It's hard to believe that Jesus Christ would die for the helpless, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for enemies. That's what we died for. And yet when Paul records this, these truths and brings them all together in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 10, where he says, for while we were still helpless at the right time, at the right time, at the right moment in human history, Christ died for the ungodly for it says for one will hardly die for a righteous man though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die but god demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners christ died for us much more then having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from the wrath of god through him when people ask you what do you really save from You know what you're saved from? You're you're saved from God. You're saved from God's wrath. Because nobody, nobody can rescue themselves from God's wrath except Jesus Christ, who took the wrath for you and I in our place. So if while we were yet enemies, the Bible says, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So what does this suffering and mockery and torment of the servant king do for those who repent and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation? Well, I'll close with this. It's adapted from J.C. Ryle about the crucifixion, and he says this. Remember, it was for us and our sin that caused Christ to go to the cross. And here are eight things to ponder. First, Jesus' suffering in our place brings us to God. It says in 1 Peter, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Secondly, he said... Jesus' suffering in our place delivers us from the pit of destruction and the torment of the prison of hell. Thirdly, he said, Jesus' suffering in our place sets us free from every charge in the day of judgment and to present us faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. The fourth thing, he said, Christ's suffering in our place is so that we might have glory and honor and eternal life through faith in Christ's atonement and that we might be received into God's kingdom with triumph at the last day and receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The fifth thing, he said, is that Jesus' suffering in our place is that we might be clothed in perfect righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, Because we have no righteousness of our own, not clothing defiled by sin, but pure, white, unstained wedding garments as the bride of Christ. The sixth thing, that Jesus suffered in our place so that we may be delivered from the curse of sin. For the Bible says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, curse it is everyone who hangs on a tree. Seventh, that Jesus suffered in our place so that we may be reckoned innocent in Christ's, for Christ's sake and found worthy to exa- escape God's judgment and be pronounced not guilty before heaven and before earth. And then lastly, that Jesus suffered in our place so that we may have a strong consolation. When we walk down into the valley of the shadow of death, we do not have to fear evil. We do not have to fear death. For the scripture tells us in Second Corinthians 5, 6, therefore being always of good courage and knowing that while we are, are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. But when we leave these bodies, we are going to be present with Christ from faith to sight, and that is going to be the day that is going to be a glorious day. So as we just celebrate tonight the Lord's suffering on our behalf, let's never forget what took place there on the cross, that every day it should occupy our mind, and some of these things tonight that we can ponder these truths that will take us not only through the next day, but it will take us through the next year until the day we close our eyes, in death, or Christ comes back again. Amen? Let's close with our few praise songs.
0: We're just going to sing uh, one more song to close the service. And uh, why don't we stand for this one? And I just want to remind you, of course, that when Jesus stretched out his arms on Calvary and died, that's an invitation to, to everybody, an invitation to you. If you're not a Christian, that is, invitation, it was his invitation for you to come to him and exchange your burden of sin and guilt for his righteousness. And even if you are a Christian, you know, some of us wander away and we can always come back, right? Um, Jesus is always there for us. And that's why he suffered. That's why he died. Let's sing this last song. Ready to close our service, I just want to thank everybody who came together at the last minute to make this happen. I so thank everybody. I think it was um, everybody came together and go worship our Lord. And I also want to remind you there's refreshments in the back, so if you want to hang out a bit, um, that would be awesome. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to come here tonight and uh, to remember what you did for us on that cross. And we remember now, Lord, that the pain that you felt was real pain. It was real human pain. But the spiritual pain that you felt of being separated from the Father is something that we'll never fully understand. It's a pain that transcends not only our understanding, but we could never we could never endure that. And uh, it was that pain, Lord, that that suffering that paid the debt that we owed. So Lord as we as we ponder upon these things and and the great lengths to which you've gone to make a bridge between us and God. As we ponder these things for the next 2 days and pray Lord that you would help us to have this these things see deeply into our hearts so that we could have develop a, a love for you that's based on what you've done for us, based on who you are. And Lord when we come back on Sunday to celebrate your resurrection will be all that much sweeter as so I remember, Lord, that you died, but death could not hold you. So, Lord, we thank you. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen.